0: Well, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace, and we're going through the book of Nehemiah uh, together. It's really a series on on leadership, and I've told you every week throughout the series that it's an important topic because everybody in this room is a leader. Whether you think that or not, the reality is you're you're a leader. You might be a leader in your home, right? You know, if you have the title of parent, mom, dad, whatever, you're a leader in your home. Some of you might be the firstborn in your home. And obviously in our culture, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but in biblical times, that meant a lot. And you might be the firstborn, and maybe you're already out of the house married, but you're still the firstborn child in your home. That comes with some weighty responsibility. Maybe you're the the, a teenager in your home and you're the firstborn. You're a leader. You're a leader in in your home. Some of you are leaders in your neighborhood, right? You're the head of the neighborhood watch uh, committee or whatever that might be. Some of you are leaders, obviously, in the business that you own. You're not just the owner of the business. Yes, you own the business, but you're a a leader. You're an influencer in in that business. Some of you are a leader at the place that you work, right? You even have the title, and it says manager, right, or supervisor, or shift leader, or whatever. For whatever reason, God has raised you up to to be a leader in in the business that, that, that you work at. Some of you might be the, the leader on the team that you play for, right? You play football, baseball, basketball, you're in high school, college, whatever. And obviously, you're a leader in your own life. You're the greatest leader of your own life. You're the greatest influencer in, in your own life. Well, but it doesn't matter where it is. every one of us is a, a leader. So it's important that we learn how to be a good leader, because you are a leader. The issue is, are you a good one? Are you a godly one? Do you influence in a, in a, in a godly way? And without a doubt, Nehemiah was a, a great leader, which is why we're allowing um, uh, his life to be an example to us, because that guy was an, an unbelievable leader. Now, now, so far we've looked at prayer. Good leaders pray. Nehemiah was a man of, of prayer. It's one of the things that made him such an incredible man. We looked at planning. Good leaders know how to plan. After Nehemiah spent a lot of time praying, he began planning. Then we looked at motivating. Good leaders know how to motivate people to action. And obviously, we, we've seen that in the life of Nehemiah as we've gone through this. Yes, he prayed and he planned, but he was able to motivate people to action. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Obviously, if you own a business, you've got to know how to motivate people to action, right? Right? If you're the manager or the supervisor or whatever, you have to have some skills to motivate people to action. If you've got the title mom, you've got to know how to motivate people, right? Your kids, what, what, whatever it might be. Then last week, we looked at uh, organizing. Good, good leaders know how to, how to organize things, and we saw that in the life of Nehemiah. And today, we're going to explore the topic of opposition. One of the, the great tests of Leadership is how you handle opposition. Do you, do, do, do you panic under pressure? Do you get up tight, lose your temper, blow up, become discouraged, give up when you're under attack? How do you typically handle opposition when it comes? And it comes in your home, it comes in your business. It comes if you're the manager, right, or the supervisor. Certainly comes in, in, in your own personal life. How do, you, how do you handle all of that? Beloved, if you're going to be a, a good leader, part of the job description includes putting up with a tax. And in our text, Nehemiah really gives us some good thoughts. Okay? Now, the book of Nehemiah is, it's a history book. And um, uh, on some plane, Christian, it's just good to know biblical history. So you read the book of Nehemiah, and you're literally reading uh, uh, about a a moment in history about 2,500 years ago, and something that took place, how God was interfacing with uh, the, the Jewish people. And there's nothing wrong with just simply being a follower of Jesus who understands biblical history. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But I also think that there are some great principles found within the, the story or the book of Nehemiah that, that help us, that we can apply today. And as I said, we're gonna look at how Nehemiah dealt with, um, with opposition. And as is my custom here, I, I, wanna, I, I wanna start by just making sure everybody understands a little bit about where the book of Nehemiah is, what's all happening. I know most of you have heard this now six times. Okay, you're going to hear it six more times. One of these days, who knows? I just may jump out into the crowd, rip one of you up, and say, get up here and tell the story. And you ought to know it that well after I've gone through it. Um, God had, uh, the, the, the setting of Nehemiah is, is God had told the Jewish people, look, you know, here's how I want you to live your life. He had given them some, some um, commands, decrees, and said, hey, you know, live like this and I'll blow your minds and I'll bless your life and all that kind of stuff. And the Jews uh, blew God off. The Jews said, no, we don't want to live according to your commands. We don't want to do that. We want to, we want to do life our own way. And whenever you blow God off, whenever you make the decision to not do what God wants, that that always comes with a consequence. And as I've told you every week, listen, it, it, it comes you know, with a consequence in our own personal lives, even today. This is a story that's at least 2,500 years old. And the Jews, for, for for disobeying God, came with a consequence. And 2,500 years later, guess what? It still comes with a consequence. When you choose to say, you know what, God, I appreciate the book and all that kind of stuff, and I don't want to live by it, okay? Or I, I like these four things that your Bible says, and I'll do those four things, but these two over here, you know what? Forget it. I, I, I'm just not going to follow those things. It comes with a consequence. And I've been telling you this now for 30 years here at Big Valley Grace not just these last six weeks, part of what we do here, whether it's our children's ministries, youth ministries, doesn't matter what the ministry is, we we, we want you to know that God loves us and He cares about us and He gave us this incredible thing called the Word of God and He wants us to live according to His Word. And when we do that, wow, it's amazing how our life is blessed, our families are blessed, our businesses are blessed. Unbelievable what happens. But God says, listen, if you choose to blow me off, that's not good. Uh, kind of like uh, uh, mom, dad, you got any problems with your own children when they blow you off? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. You don't like it, do you? It usually comes with a consequence when your kids don't want to live by your rules, your, your, your regulations and all that. You still love them, but they're, they, they, it comes with a consequence. Well, God's no different. And so the Jews, uh, the the consequence was was they were living in a city called Jerusalem. And we've all heard of Jerusalem, still here today. Uh, uh, I've been there many times. God allowed an invading army, the Persian army, to come, and Jerusalem had these big walls that were set up to protect it, and they came with battering rams and smashed up all the walls. And the Persian army, which was led by a guy by the name of King Artaxerxes, came in and just decimated the the, the, the city, you know, busted down all the houses and went to the temple, which was the holy place of the Jews, and they tore down the temple so that they couldn't, you know, worship God and all that. It was really crummy. But it got worse because then, then the, the Persian army um, basically deported all of the Jews, took them into captivity, and took them from Jerusalem, took them 1,000 miles to the city of uh, Babylon, and that's where Iraq is today. And that's where the Jewish people were, were held for, for quite a few years. The consequence for disobeying God was pretty steep. Their city was in ruins, their temple was in ruins, and now they're in captivity. Well, about 50 years or so later, God's grace, and you see the grace of God throughout all of the Bible, not just the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, The grace of God was extended to the Jewish people and he allowed a first wave of Jews to come back to Jerusalem. So they made the thousand mile journey back to Jerusalem and and obviously when they showed up they found their town, their city in ruins. The walls that protected the city were all torn down and all the homes had been destroyed. The businesses had been destroyed. Their temple had been destroyed, and you could just imagine the looters and the people that just had ransacked the city. It was probably a very depressing moment, to to say the least. A few years later, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel um, actually rebuilt the temple. God's grace was extended to the Jewish people once again, and at least they had their temple where they could, you know, worship the Lord. Uh, a few years later, a, a second wave of Jewish people were allowed to return from Babylon to Jerusalem, uh, led by a guy by the name of Ezra. He, he leads a second group of people back into Jerusalem, and obviously you got the same situation. It's just a ruins. it's a mess. Now there's just, you know, more people are showing up back in the homeland, but more people just depressed, bummed out, discouraged. Morale was at an all-time low. Well, Nehemiah had probably never been to Jerusalem. His parents were probably a part of that captivity. He was actually probably born in Babylon. And he had risen up the ranks to become the cupbearer to the king. And that was a a pretty high, uh, um, you know, title to have. He he was way up in the Persian government, so to speak. And the cupbearer was kind of like a secret service agent is today for the president. You, you, you guarded the, 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 the king, and you were kind of like a prime minister, if you will. So he had, he had worked his way up the, the ranks and was well-trusted uh, Jewish man in the Persian government. Well, his brother comes back from Jerusalem and meets up with Nehemiah and says, Hey, uh, listen, man, the city's a mess. The, the, the walls are broken down, which means anybody can come and just kill and rape and maim the people. There's no protection. The, the city's a mess. There is the temple, but everything else is a mess. And just grieved Nehemiah. The Bible says that when he heard it in chapter 1, we looked at this, he spent a lot of time praying. He was a man of prayer. First thing he does is he spends days and days and days, and there, there, there's this sense in the Hebrew that it was literally months that he just starts to pray. He's grieved over the fact that God's city is in ruins, that um, where his, you know, grandfathers and his ancestors were buried, their tombs were a mess. And so he wants to go back and he wants to be the guy that rebuilds the walls. And so he goes to the king and he says, hey, king, uh, I need a couple of years off. I want to go to Jerusalem. Remember, they didn't have cars and jets, it was, a, it could have been four or five month, months just to get from Babylon to Jerusalem on, on, you know, the back of a camel, and so it was going to take him four or five months just to get there, four or five months just to get back, forget about however long it was going to take him to rebuild the walls and the city and all that, so he goes to the king and he says, king, I'd really like to rebuild the, the city and all of that, and, and, and the king says, go for it. I'm going to let you go back. And so Nehemiah was kind of this third group, this third wave of uh, Jews that got to go back to their city. And when he arrives at the city, you know, he now scoping everything out on his own and begins to kind of lay out an organizational plan. He, he gets all of the people together that were living there, and he says, okay, you know, we've we got to get this thing going. We're all ready to go. We, we want to rebuild the walls. And in this disgrace, you know, of, of God's city being in the ruins and the disgrace of our town being a, a mess, and the people go, yeah, you know, woo let's do it. And we've looked at all that. Um, and so the, the people all start working. They all have their place on the wall. And last weekend, uh, if you were here, we saw that Nehemiah organized everything and he's got everybody working. And, and it's unbelievable what's happening. The people are motivated. They're pumped and all of that. But the wall gets about halfway done. And now the opposition shows up. Always going to be people out there who don't want you to fulfill God's plan. And so what we're going to do is, I, I kind of dug this last week in your, in your program, you can see we're going to just look at Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to allow Max McLean again just to, just to speak the word. You can follow along or follow along on the Jumbotrons, okay? Go ahead and play it.
1: Nehemiah 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed uh, some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, And that god had frustrated it we all returned to the wall each to his own work from that day on half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears shields bows and armor the officers posted themselves behind all the people of judah who were building the wall those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn until the stars came out at that time i also said to the people have every man and his helper stay inside jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day neither i nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes each had his weapon even when he went for water As I told you, the the,
0: the book of Nehemiah is um, at least the first eight or nine chapters is actually his own words. It's his journal. You get past those eight chapters and something happens, but you're actually hearing what Nehemiah recorded. This is history that that we're hearing, that we're reading. This is real history. This actually took place. And it, as I said, it's just good for us to, to, to know history. But let me, in the few minutes I have, let me, let me just tease out a few things for us, okay? Things that I think we, we find in here, and there's just a lot. <laughs> there's no way I'm going to cover it all. This isn't a comprehensive look at all, just a few things that i want going to throw out. So, so what do we learn here about handling opposition? Well, the first thing I want to do is look at how the opposition tends to attack. Okay, these, these are some of the, the tactics that people will use to try to discourage you from accomplishing God's will in your life or to stop some project or to get you from doing your part of building the, the wall or God's kingdom, okay? Number one, tactic number one, the opposition will, will ridicule and, and make fun of you, okay? This is one of the, the, the great tactics of the uh, of our enemies. It, it tells us about Sanballat when, when, when he heard that they were rebuilding the wall. He became angry and was greatly incensed, right? Verse 1, he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they, will they finish in a day Like somehow Nehemiah said they were going to do it in a a day. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? And then Tobiah, what they were building, if even a fox climbed up on it, break down their their wall of stones. In other words, look at that. These guys are crummy. They don't know what they're doing. Beloved, the opposition is making fun and ridiculing the people. And by the way, This tactic is still used today. And you know why this tactic is still used today? Because it works. It works. It's a powerful tool. The the world is constantly (laughs) ridiculing Christians, isn't it? The world is constantly ridiculing the church. People are driving by right now, going down Tully, going down Pellendale, and there are some who are just making fun of us, ridiculing us, marginalizing us, saying all kinds of things about us. I know. You know how I know? I used to be one of them. Nobody could ridicule the church more than I could. I could make fun of believers. <laughs> it's just unbel- unbelievable what I used to say. The world is constantly ridiculing the Word of God, making fun of it. It's old, outdated. You can't really trust it. You can't really believe it. In fact, there are organizations that rise up that say, ah, it's ludicrous, it's dumb, it's crazy. Written by men. It can't be written by God. Right? You hear all the stuff, the Jesus Seminar people, all these loonies out there. The world is always putting us down or making fun of God. The world is always telling us that we're weak or ignorant or fanatics or, or wimps or crooks or hypocrites or whatever. And why do they do this? Because it works. It attacks our, our sense of self-worth. And, and, and most people can't handle ridicule. In fact, I know a lot of people that at one time were following the Lord, but because people made fun of them and ridiculed them and marginalized them or whatever, and they stopped getting invited to all the right parties, they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Well, they'll tell you they're a follower of Jesus. I've been here a lot. Of, I've been here Decades. And the reality is is this, beloved, just the reality, I hate to say this, some of you won't be here next year. The ridicule will become too much. The the jokes will be too much. The, The marginalizing will be too much. And your flesh is a powerful thing. Your flesh wants to be liked. It wants, you know, people to like you and be invited to the right things. And so, you know what? Man, I just, I just don't want anybody to know. Beloved, one of the, the great tactics that the enemy will use to try to get you to stop whatever it is that God has planned for your life is ridicule. It is. It works. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, or 2 Peter chapter 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Jude 18 says this, in the last time there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. But look, here's the deal. I don't know whether or not we're in the last times or not. Obviously, Nehemiah was written 2,500 years ago and they're mocking him and scoffing at him. I don't know whether we're in the end times or not. Don't know. All I know is that when the end times do come, there's gonna be a lot of ridicule going on. I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, really? Man, you guys have been talking about that, you know, Jesus is coming back for how long? And I'll go, I know I've been talking about it for 30 years at least. And I know there was a whole lot of people before me and before them and da-da-da, it's been, been, been a couple thousand years now. Jesus walked out of the tomb a couple of thousand years ago. Loser. 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 I mean, really. I, mean, I, can't, I, can't, I couldn't count how many times people have mocked me. And the reason why the enemy makes sure that there will be people in your life that mock you and ridicule you. It's because it works. It works. It works. Uh, tactic number two. The opposition will actually stir up trouble against you. Verse 6 says, so we rebuilt the wall till we reached about the halfway point. For the people worked with all their hearts. But when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs uh, to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And then they started to plot together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble uh, against it. Beloved, the opposition saw that all their ridiculing really didn't work. And that somehow Nehemiah, you know, just kind of kept going. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit here. And so now the opposition's going, dude, man, we made fun of them, we ridiculed them, we marginalized them, but those guys are still going for it. So now they're going to step it up a little bit. They got themselves organized and they began to cause trouble. Sandballot was in, up in the north and the Arabs were in the south, Tobiah and the Amorites were in the, in the east, and the men of Ashdod were, were in the west. So the Jews were surrounded. The city of Jerusalem was surrounded, totally surrounded. Which, which I wish timed it. I had time to, I was kind of, I thought about this, I always thought that it was kind of interesting that when you find somebody who's negative, Somehow they're able to, they're like a magnet. They find, before you know it, all the negative people tend to find each other out. you ever notice that? They feed on each other. Yeah, they feed on each other. It's kind of weird, isn't it? They just kind of all come together, and, and now, wow, woo! And that's kind of what's happened here, man. These, these groups have all come together. They're trying to figure out a way to... to, to you, you know, mess this thing up. Now let me give you a quick thought as it relates to this. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He says, since they persecuted me, naturally, they're going to persecute you, right? Look, if you have truly received Jesus Christ as your Savior, You've truly called upon the name of the Lord. There was a a genuine moment when you understood that your sin had separated you from God. That there was no way you could save yourself but there was no way that when you took your last breath, you could ever go to heaven because of, of your sin. And you recognize that Jesus was God's son, his perfect son, his holy son, and that he came and lived a beautiful life for you and then died a horrific death for you and then was buried and three days later walked out of the tomb and, and, and basically conquered death and said, look, you put your trust in me. Look, though you die, yet shall you live. If you've truly given your life over to Jesus Christ, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, let me just tell you something. Buckle your seatbelt. And I would say this, that in my 30 years here at Big Valley Greats, um, it's way different today than it's ever been. Way, way different as it relates to the attacks on biblical Christianity. It has, been, it has been amped up to a whole nother world. In fact, I met with my staff, um, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and they'll tell you, I gave a little speech about how the times are really different. And that we, we just got to buckle our, our seatbelts, man. Because the fun and the mocking and the ridiculing it, it, it isn't going to work, at least against this guy. And so the enemy is going to organize. Uh, uh, it, it's going to be way different. And, and if you know the Lord, Christian, just recognize. Jesus, that wasn't like, well, you know, Jesus was trying to fill up some pages in Scripture. He wants you to know something. Jesus, the one in whom you follow, wanted you to know something. They persecuted me. They mocked him, made fun of him, beat him to a pulp, and killed him. And he says, look, naturally they're going to do the same thing to you. So it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't come as a shock that there are, there are, there are people out there, very powerful people, that are against what the Bible says. The most powerful man on the planet, our president is against what this book has to say. I got the feeling the game has changed a little bit for us who name the name of Christ. Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you. And they lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. They ridicule you, make funny, marginalize you, whatever. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were also persecuted in the same way. The ancient prophets, well, who are they? Nehemiah, he's one of them, huh? Look, the baton's just been handed off to us here in the 21st century, Christian. The old, you know, the Ezekiels and the Isaiahs and, the, and, and all of them, guess what? They were mocked, they were persecuted, they were made fun of, they were marginalized, and they just kept handing the baton off. The baton got handed off to Jesus, and guess what? It's our, it's our, we're, it's our leg to run now. Tactic number three. Man. The opposition will, will spread rumors to try to, to try to scare you. And in verses 11 and 12, we, we see these rumors. Our enemies said before they know it or, or, or see us, they'll be right there among us, and they'll jump up and kill us while we're working. Then the Jews who lived there came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, that, that, that's where they're going to be to attack us. Beloved, the rumor going around the city of Jerusalem was that the opposition was going to attack from all sides and that it would happen so quickly that you wouldn't even know it. But the reality was the opposition didn't have that many soldiers. But they were were talking about it. Over and over and over they talked about it. Ten times over. They were hearing it all the time. Oh, man, we're going to be doing our thing. And, man, boom. they are going to be honest. It's going to be horrible. The the rumor, though it wasn't true, was enough to set off a, a panic attack. And often that happens, doesn't it? Is that rumors will come. So, so the three tactics, and there, there, there are more it, it, that I you know, kind of pointed out, was they, they ridiculed and they made, they'll make fun of you. They, they fight and stir up trouble against you. And they spread rumors to, to, to try to scare you. Now, what's the one big thing that tends to happen when you're attacked by the opposition? The one big thing that happens is you, you, you tend to get discouraged. Uh, Or at least I do. (laughs) Verse 10 says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we can't even rebuild the wall. Actually, the pile was getting smaller. They're halfway done. But man, you're you're being made fun of and, and you're being ridiculed, and people are stirring up trouble up against you, and all these rumors are going on. And dude, you just start getting discouraged. Is this really the Lord's will, you know? <laughs> Should we really be doing this? it. when you're working hard and doing your best to follow the Lord and His plan for your life, and then all of a sudden you're bombarded with all of this ridicule and these rumors and resistance or whatever, the chances are pretty good that you're going to get discouraged. Look, all Satan wants to do is mess up the, the work that God has for you. He wants you to, to stop building your portion of the wall. And one of the great ways he gets you to mess up is through sin. He tempts you to sin. If he can get you to sin and disobey him, guess what? You're, 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 no, you're useless to you know on the wall. But if he can't get you to sin, let me just tell you what I think his his next strategy is. That is, I'll discourage you. I couldn't get you to sin. I couldn't get you to, you know, uh, commit adultery. I couldn't get you to, you know, do all these other things that are out there that'll mess up God's will for your life. It'll mess up your place on the wall. Sin always messes up your place on the wall. But if he can't get you to sin, then I'll just get you discouraged. That's what I'll do. It's one of Satan's great, great tactics. Let me, look, look, look. And here's why. Discouraged people tend to give up. Isn't that true? Discouraged Christians tend to give up. Oh, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to quit the band. You know. I'm going to quit the choir. I don't want to work in the children's ministry anymore. You know, I'm tired of mentoring teenagers. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to feed the homeless. I'm too busy. I, just, I don't want to do that anymore. Let me give you a leadership principle. Every time you start doing something for God, you're asking for a battle. Listen to me, listen to me. If you start to build your marriage, you're asking for a battle. The moment you go, you know what, honey, our marriage is a a two, let's try to get it to a four, boom, there's a battle. Or, honey, you know, our marriage is a five, let's try to get it to a seven, bam, bam. The enemy doesn't want you to build your marriage. He wants to tear it down. The moment you start, start to try to build up your own spiritual life, boom! The enemy doesn't sleep. When you go to bed tonight, Satan ain't going to go to bed. The demons aren't going to go to bed. They're gonna stay up all night just trying to figure out how to screw up whatever it is you're trying to build, your marriage, your family, your own personal life. And he's really good at what he does. Really crafty at what he does. Look, here's the bottom line. Uh, Leaders have to build and battle at the same time, okay? If you're going to do anything significant with your life for God, have a great marriage, be a great dad, be a great mom, you know, be a great worker here at the church, have a business to God's glory, where you you lead it to God's glory, you got to build it, and you also have to battle. You got to do both, because there are forces at work that don't want you to succeed, you see? You see that in Nehemiah. He's trying to do God's will here. And here's all of these problems he's got. So what should your response be? Okay, here's the practical part of the message, and we'll fly through some of these, okay? Um, what do you do when you're under attack? Man, Nehemiah gives us a couple of really great things. Number one, when you're under attack, you have to trust and rely on God. This is the big one right here. Verse four says, hear us, O our God, for we are despised, turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from their sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And when I read this, I thought, man, Nehemiah's ticked off here. He's letting off some steam. Look, when you're being ridiculed and made fun of and rumors are being spread about you and troubles being stirred up against you, you don't suppress it. You confess it. Because if you just suppress it, that doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do your family any good. It doesn't do your business any good. It doesn't do your own life any good. He doesn't suppress it. He's confessing it. He's talking to the Lord about it. Christian, the first thing you do when you're Facing an attack is to run to God and rely on him and trust him, which is exactly what Nehemiah is doing here. He's giving all this over to the Lord. He was an incredible man of prayer. He doesn't get caught up in calling his enemies, you know, names or whatever. He doesn't do that. You know what he does? He doesn't call his enemies names. He just calls on the greatest name. I'll tell you what, he's got, his life is unbelievable, man. Proverbs chapter 26 says, Don't answer the foolish arguments of a fool, or you become as foolish as they are. And haven't, well, haven't we all been sucked into that? All of a sudden, you start battling words, and you walk away and get in your car and drive away, and you go, Dude, I'm an idiot. You become a fool. You become like them. And what Nehemiah does is he just says, You know, I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm just going to go talk with the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to re- rely on the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. Look, if you're getting ridiculed for your faith or whatever, don't ridicule back. Because that makes you no know better than the person who's ridiculing you. If you've if you got a project and people are taking pot shots at you, just rely on God. Just pray. Trust Him to take care of business. Don't get caught up in calling other people names. Don't do that. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, for the Lord watches over the righteous and listens to their prayers. He listens to your prayers. At that moment, when Nehemiah recorded that, he said, now I want you to know, here's what I did, man. This is all happening. I prayed. The Lord was listening to his prayers. And the Lord listens to your prayers. Psalms 34 says, the righteous person faces many troubles. And that's true. We face as righteous people made righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. There's lots of things we face. Your your personal life, your family, right? Your business, your career. There's lots of things we face. But the Lord comes to the rescue each time. If you're living your life according to the Word of God, and you're following Him, wow, He'll come to the rescue. No doubt about it. So so the first thing you got to do is just rely on God. Number two, when you're under attack, you have to have a healthy respect for your opposition. And I I dug this. I dug this one here. Verse 9 says, but we prayed to our (laughs) God, and we posted a guard at night. you got to like this. I like this guy. How do we know that Nehemiah respected his opposition? Well, he prayed. That's the first thing, man. Dude, you got an enemy, dude, I'm I'm praying. So that, that right there tells you that he had a healthy respect for his opposition. But the second thing was he posted a guard. He did the prayerful thing, and then he did the practical thing. You see, it's okay to lay in bed at night and pray, you know, dear Lord, please protect me from these burglars. Pray that. But you ought to get up and lock the door. Uh, is that, is that a, does that make sense? I mean, you know... I, I mean it's not saying you don't trust God. It's just saying you got a half a cell working. <laughs> yeah, Lord, I'm you protect my house and I'm going to trust you tonight. and I'm just going to leave all my windows open and my doors open and uh, you know. It's not a sign that you're not trusting the Lord because you bolt your doors at night. That's a sign that you're a person of great wisdom. Now, you don't want to leave the Lord out. He, he's, he's number one. Unless the Lord watches over a city, man, the watchman watch in vain, right? So it's important that you pray. It's important that he's the one that you're relying on, but then, you know, you, 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 you take some action. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 26. He said, watch and Pray. So that you will not fall into temptation watch and pray you know that 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 thought is used over and over in scripture again that we're to pray and watch be alert be sober minded colossians chapter 4 says devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind in other words hey pray be with the lord He's ultimately the one that we're trusting in. He's ultimately the one we're relying in. But then get off your knees and be alert, be sober, Be careful how you live your life. Be careful how you lead your family, your own personal life, your business, whatever it might be. It's one thing to pray for your business. Oh, God, I want to have a godly business. Lord, I want to run my business to your glory. But you better get up and be alert because there are people out there, influencers out there that want you to cheat here, you know, do something that's not really legal here, a little unethical here. Who's going to know? He'll know. He'll know. He'll know. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Watching is the, 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 the human part, you know, posting the guard. Praying is the divine part. That's the, that's the trusting in God. Watching is all about locking your doors. Praying is all about trusting God. And you need them both. And you see both of them in our story here. With, with Nehemiah and, and number three, when you're under attack, you got to reinforce your weak points. Uh, verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears, and and and, and bows. Beloved, Nehemiah is paying special attention to the lowest parts of the wall because that's where they were most vulnerable. He's reinforcing the places he's most Vulnerable. Let me ask you, for those of you that own a business, do you know the weak points in your operation? Do you know? Have you thought about it? Have you thought it through? Do you know? Okay, here's kind of where the the weakest. For those of you that are managers or supervisors, do you know where the weak points are in your division? Do you know what they are? For those of us that are parents, do you know where the weak points are in your family? Do you know where you're most open to attack? Do you? How about you as an individual? Do you know where the weak points are in your life? Do you know what the triggers are in your life that'll get you going down a crummy road? Do you know who those people are in your life that aren't a good influence in your life? The Bible says this, that don't be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. Some of you aren't aware of the weak points in your own personal life you got losers as friends, and they're leading you down crummy roads. They don't want you to live to God's glory. They don't want you to have a a great spiritual life with the Lord. They don't want you to have a great marriage. They want you to go out on Friday night and get drunk with them. And go hang out with them instead of hanging out with your spouse or your kids or whatever it might be. And you just, okay, Hey, and you sit around with all these people that are making jokes about marriage and make jokes about whatever, and there you are. You don't even know the weak points in your own life. Wake up! Jesus said, Watch out! You got to know those things. Some of you, you look at where your business fell apart, you look at where your marriage fell apart, where you lost your kids or whatever it is, and I'll bet you could trace it back to somebody. You met somebody. Became friends with somebody. And God's word is right. Bad company corrupts good morals. All the good things your mama taught you about God, all the good things your youth pastor taught you about God, all the good things you learned in here about God. All it takes is one crummy person strategically placed by the enemy
1: in your life,
0: in your family's life, in your teenager's life, in your junior hire's life. Do you know who your junior hire's friends are? You ought to. Got to know where the weak spots are. And Nehemiah knew them. And number four, when you're under attack, you've got to surround yourself with others. Verse 13, he posts people by families. Now, why did he do this? Well, I think it's because when you're under attack, you need support. That's one of the great things about a small group. That's why we have so many small groups, and we talk about small groups, is because when we're under attack, we need support. We need people who are going to care about us and, and, and all of that. And so he just didn't say, hey, you know, Johnny, you watch this part of the wall. No, he said, hey, well, let's put a whole family there. I want this whole family. You guys are all, all of you are going to be here. And that was kind of smart, if you think about it. Because if he had taken a family and put a family on this part of the wall, and I'm working at this part of the wall, and that's my family, I'm going to be worried. If that trumpet goes off and there's an attack, I'm going to be worried about my family, aren't I? So hey, look, I'm just going to put families together, and now Rick, here's the deal: if the bad guys come and they start to attack, who am I protecting? My wife, my kids, my grandkids. I'm probably going to fight a little bit harder because it's my family now that the bad guys could get to. I'm telling you, Nehemiah is unbelievable. I should have more time to. Talk about n- n- Number five, when you're under attack, you have to reassure the, the people. Verse 14 says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid. I know ballots out there and Tobiah's out there. The Arabs are out there. I know the Ammonites are out there. We're surrounded. But don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Was great and awesome, and, and, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah's rallying the troops here. He's relieving their fears. He's reinforcing their confidence. He's, ri- he's raising their morale. This is one of the great tasks of a leader, dad, of a leader, mom, of a leader, firstborn, of a leader, manager, or supervisor, or, or business owner. When your business or your family or your church is under attack, the, 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 the task of leadership is to reassure the people. Now, Now, what did Nehemiah say that renewed their confidence? What was it? He said this. Remember the Lord. That's a good speech right there. You don't have to say much more than that. Guys, t- just remember how awesome God is. Just remember him. Keep your eye on him. Don't think about me. I'm just a human being, An arrow will go right through me. I'm no good. Remember the Lord. Remember Him. Boy, nothing reassures people when you get their mind on the Lord. Some of you, you came here tonight, right? And you're bummed out. You're discouraged. A lot of you rose, raised your hand, I'm, I'm afraid of something. And you come in here, and then all of a sudden you start singing all these songs, right? And they're all about the Lord. And all of a sudden, da, 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 da. And, and, and now, before you know it, you forgot about what's going on in your life, right? Isn't that weird? And then, all of a sudden, John reminded you of it. Yeah. Oh, no. Why did he do that? I really like not thinking about it, right? I'm afraid. i got to talk to him before tomorrow. What was that about? I'll tell you, there's this great moment in Matthew chapter 14. Most of us know it. Some of you are new, or maybe you don't know much about the Bible, but Peter and some of the guys, some of his disciples, Jesus' disciples are on this boat, and Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter says, hey, you know, I want to walk on the water. And Jesus says, come on, Peter. the Bible says that Peter jumped overboard. And he took a couple of steps. And then he took his eyes off of the Lord. And he saw the waves and the thing and the lightning bolt, I don't know. <laughs> and it's when he got his eyes off of the Lord that he began to sink. Interesting what happens when you just remember the Lord and you keep your eyes on on, on, on the Lord. And, and, and last but not least, n- n- number six, when, when you're under attack, listen to me, you gotta just keep pressing on. Verse 15 says, when our enemies heard that we are aware of their plot and that God had frustrated. We all return to the wall. We, start, we kept working. Verse 21, so we continued the, the work. Beloved, when you're under attack, you can't quit. You have to press on. You, you have to continue the work. Look, there's always going to be people out there that oppose you or ridicule you or spread rumors about you or whatever. It doesn't matter. you got to press on. You've you, you got to stay on the wall. Verse 11 says, Our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. Beloved, this is the goal of the enemy. Listen to me. He wants you to stop working your piece of the wall. He wants you to stop working on your marriage. He wants you to stop trying to be a good husband. He wants you to stop trying to be a good wife. He wants to stop. You from being good parents. He wants to stop you from building your marriage. He wants to stop you from building a godly life. He wants to stop you. So, guess what happens when you stop? He wins. You stop building your own personal life, Satan wins. You stop building your marriage. He wins. You stop building your business to God's glory, he wins. You stop trying to be a godly man, he wins. You stop trying to be a godly woman, he wins. You stop trying to be a godly person in your home, he wins. See, that's what Satan wants to do is stop you. So when you stop, he wins. That's why you got to keep pressing on. That's why you got to keep pressing on. I hate to even think about the fact that I'd be laying in bed one night or driving home going, you know what, man, Satan won. It, it, it just ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen Not my life. And that's what I got a church for. I got a small group for. So when I start getting discouraged or whatever, they can say, man, get back in the game because once you quit, the enemy wins. So let me ask you a question. What what does the devil want you to give up on? What has he been tempting you to give up on? Does he want you to give up on reading the scriptures? Does he want you to give up serving somewhere here at the church? Does he want you to give up on your marriage? Does he want you to give up on your small groups? Does he want you to, you know, give up on some dream you've got? What what is it? What is it that the enemy wants you to just give up on? Whatever it is, if you do it, the devil wins. One of the fundamental pr- uh, principles of the Christian life is this. Don't, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. It'll get tough. I think we've got some tough days ahead of us. I think we've got some tough, we've got a tough season ahead of us here in America as believers. But don't give up. Don't give it. Why don't you stand up, all right? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time, and I'm thankful for all these children's workers that are staying late and bailing me out, and blessings on them, Lord. Thank you, God, for your word and the story here of Nehemiah. That's unbelievable, Lord, just some really great stuff in here. And, Scott, would you close our time right now?